Good evening, everybody. Good to see you. Trust you've had a great week already. Kind of in the middle of it. Now it's downhill. So, isn't it, isn't it just a refreshing time? Take a little while out of the middle of your week and recharge your batteries. Have some opportunity to encourage one another in fellowship and, and also to have a study together in God's Word. Have a handful of announcements that I want to share with you. And then we'll sing a song, have a prayer, and begin our Bible class. I will remind you, we started this last week, but this week we are continuing that. And I guess for the foreseeable future, there is an additional Bible class over in the Annex. It requires a mask, I believe, but it is an option for you if you'd like to be a part of that class. And no problem, I'm not even going to watch. If you want to go ahead and leave, you may do that and be a part of that study. won't hurt my feelings at all, but you have that option. And I, I know some folks are taking advantage of that. Also, this is a little bit different for Sunday. On Sundays, we typically have the two classes as well, auditorium and annex. But this coming Sunday is the Sunday that precedes the trip to Little Rock for Lads to Leaders. So Sunday night's Bible class will actually give way to presentations that our young people have made and singing and so forth for, well, one, on one hand, it is practice, but the other hand is those young people are going to be directing us in what is basically a worship-type setting. So come and encourage them, and let's, let's do our best to build up our young people. So that'll be this Sunday night. And then also, I don't know if you have alerts on your phone or... You watch the Weather Channel or whatever you do, but we're supposed to have storms tomorrow that are potentially worse than we had last week about this time. So Tommy wanted me to let you know the building is going to be open. It's um, actually one of the shelters of our town here. So if you'd like to come and shelter yourself, be safe. It'll be available all day. We don't want anybody getting hurt. So if you live in a, a home where you don't really have much protection, why don't you do the, the wise thing and you know, keep abreast of how it's developing, but come in and stay in, in the basement here. All right, that's all I know. That's all I wrote down anyway. Let's sing a song together. I try to, I try to compliment the lesson with a song selection, and tonight is 635, Freely, Freely. Now, this song has primarily to do with the fact that we've taken advantage of what Jesus has done to forgive us of our sins, and now we are motivated to do the same for somebody else, to take that message to others. And tonight, our emphasis in our series is 
to do a two-letter word, to go. So in our series regarding things that a church must do, one of those things is that we have to be committed to go. And I think this song addresses that. 635, we'll have a short prayer and Bible study. God is counting on those of us who are recipients of his gift to be the means by which others can know it, right? So we become useful in the freeing of other people from their sins. Just keep that in mind as we study tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time, time of fellowship and time of study a respite in the middle of a busy week to recharge ourselves spiritually. I pray, Lord, that we'll be able to do just that as we think about your call for us to go. I pray that your word will become very much alive in us and that we will will be an avenue through which your gospel can reach others so that they can be saved like we've been saved. Thank you for the varying opportunities that we each have. Not all of us are equipped to teach a Bible study. Not all of us are equipped to encourage 
as maybe others are so gifted. But Lord, help us to be very diligent in making an honest determination about ourselves as what we can do. And then with due diligence and great enthusiasm to go about our work, the work that you have put in our hands to do. Encourage us, Lord, with success in those endeavors. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the more familiar passages of Scripture for a child of God is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I never want to leave that last part off of there because amen means so be it. In other words, this is the thing. You you don't get anything else. Don't miss this, Jesus says. And then he's gone. (laughs) Do this. It's striking when you read that text, of just how full of power and motivation and action it is. Because he says, go. Now, I've, I've heard explanations of that suggesting that the Lord commanded us to go, so we better go. Actually, the word go there is not in a command form. It's actually what's called a present participle. It's a word that normally in the English would have the suffix ing associated with it. So go is really representative of the word going. The only command that's found in this statement is to make disciples. Now let that roll around in your head a minute. Jesus commanded his immediate disciples on that occasion. And then the second component of the statement that they were to teach those disciples the things that they had been commanded, which by extension, of course, would mean us, that they are to, as they are going, make disciples of all nations. The command here is to make disciples. How do I make a disciple, we ask? Well, as you are going, wherever you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. We make disciples as we are going through their baptism. But their baptism is going to be the result, you know, of them having developed belief, and that belief, according to Romans 10 and verse 17, that comes by the Word of God. So, you and I, already disciples, having received that message and responded to it, having had our sins washed away in our obedience to the gospel through baptism, are now supposed to, as we are going also make disciples through the very same process. 
Jesus also makes the point, don't worry, you're not doing it alone. I'm going to be with you as you are going. And then he confirms that by saying, amen, so be it. That's the way it is. So you and I, walking in lockstep with the Lord, as we are going about whatever it is that we are doing, are under the command of Jesus Christ to make disciples. We teach them, and then we baptize them. Sometimes we refer to this passage and a handful of others as being the Great Commission. We do that in, in some ways to separate it from what we also call a limited commission when Jesus called 70 of his disciples to go and preach the gospel to villages that they had contact with. But this we call the Great Commission because it's the final commission of the Lord, not just specific to certain villages inhabited by Jews, but to go into all the world, the Great Commission. But you know what? It probably should be called the Church's Commission. Not just saying this is a grand thing, but actually... This is the very thing that the church is supposed to be about. As they are going, wherever they are going, making disciples through a prospective disciple's obedience to the gospel. And here's the thing. I, I hear people talking about the dwindling numbers in churches. You know whose fault that is. And don't point at the preacher necessarily. Because the responsibility of church growth is every member of the church. We've all been given this commission to teach and to baptize. We're all supposed to be motivated as we are going to make those disciples. And the natural result of us as we are going, making disciples, is that those disciples, when they obey the gospel, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the Lord will add them to the church. Now watch this, the simplest church growth program that has ever existed. Actually the one that the Lord gave us. If we will simply do what He commanded us to do to make disciples then he will add them to the church, and then what will the church do? It will grow, simple as can be. Tonight, I want us to think in terms of the going aspect and of the kind of commitment that it takes for us as we are going to make those disciples. And I'm going to break it up into three distinct sections. We're going to talk about how that we go, and it actually is a commitment to growth itself. And then as we go, that it's a commitment to love, unity, and peace. And then finally, we'll talk about going as it is a commitment to evangelism. Well, let's start by talking about this commitment to growth. 
When you look at the New Testament Scriptures and see the activity of the church, I don't know how else to describe it other than to say that the New Testament record regarding church growth is nothing short of phenomenal. And I'll give you a taste of that. I'm not supposing that this is a full accounting of every time the New Testament talks about growth, but there are some places that kind of stand out in the book of Acts. And that's important because it follows this commission of the church, and we see the program. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we find out that they're going to start there in Jerusalem, but the Lord's plan is that they're going to continue out into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Lord had in mind they would initially begin there in Jerusalem, get a strong footing, and then they would eventually then go out into all the world preaching the gospel to every creature, just as the commission had been given. So they start doing that. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that text says that the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. You heard much like that today? Say, how, how is it going with the church at such and such a location? We could even ask, how's it going at Boonville? Could we say, well, you know, in Boonville, the Lord's adding to the church every single day, those who are being saved. I mean, it is, it is hand over fist about the gathering up of those disciples. The members here, as they go, they're making those disciples, and they're obeying that gospel. And chapter 5 and verse 14, kind of a step up a little bit. It says that the disciples were increasingly added, and listen to this word, multitudes, both of men and women. Okay, so they're increasingly added. In other words, you remember how we were doing before? Well, now it's increasing in that regard as in turn the addition is taking place. But let me tell you, it's hard for us to put a number on it. We'll just say that it's multitudes of people, both men and women, responding to the gospel. In chapter 6 and verse 7, he just says that they were multiplying greatly. Now, notice the change in words right there. You understand adding. I say, well, there's this one, and then add to that one this one, and this one, and this one, and this one. That's an easy way to account of it. But now apparently the thing is getting to be so grand and so great that he says, well, it's multiplying. And that is, you know, groups times groups times groups, not just one added to the next. This thing is exploding. It's becoming exponential in its growth. But by the time you get to chapter 9 and verse 31, he just simply says multiplying. I kind of get the idea that, you know, we've been talking about how the church is growing in these phenomenal ways, and how else do you describe it? It's, it's just, you know, same as it's been. It's just multiplying. Don't know how to quantify it. Just tell you, great things are happening. 
In chapter 11 and verse 24, it says that a great many people were added. Now think about that. I'm not even saying addition as in one and one. I'm not even now saying multitudes as in great groups of people. I'm just telling you there are great numbers that are coming. People, lots of people. And then in chapter 16 at verse 5, it says that they increased in number daily. It's just like throwing your hands up and saying, I can't account of this anymore. All I know is the thing is happening. We can't even keep track of how many are, are being added to the church. It's just increasing every day. That's what I mean when I say that New Testament growth was phenomenal. But I do still have this question. Would you say, and not just the Boonville Church, let's just think of the church generally speaking. You know of churches all around. I hear you talking about different ones and different states and all around the world. Would you say that in this day and time that we as a church worldwide are experiencing phenomenal growth? No. Shake your head this way. No. No. I have to ask the question to follow up then. <laughs> Why? Because the message that they were preaching, the gospel, which Romans 1 verse 16 says, is the power of God. Another way to translate that is dynamite. The dynamite of God is the gospel. Okay, God's power to save people, it's the gospel. His dynamite. Okay, well, that's what saved those people and all those increases and multiplications and uh, uh, such growth that you can't even quantify it. That's what was happening. Then... Well, we have the same gospel today. What would be the difference? And I, I'm just going to throw this out there. When I look at what was the level of commitment of those who were disciples of Jesus Christ, when I look at the level of their commitment, I, I'm just, I'm not sure that I see that same level of commitment today. Not God's gospel, it's the same. So I have to ask, are we the same? Let me describe for you the commitment to Jesus Christ that people had in the first century. And the reason that I'm going to say it that way is because I don't want you thinking, well, their commitment to preaching the gospel was this high. Not that. You don't have to worry about your commitment to preaching the gospel or any other kind of Christian thing that we do. You don't have to worry about your level of commitment in terms of benevolence or of of any aspect of our relationship with other people. If the commitment to Jesus is like it ought to be. Okay, here are some examples. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me... Now stop right there. 
Think about the wording there. Jesus said, you want to follow me? We're like, yeah, Lord, I want to follow you because I don't want to be lost. I want to go to heaven. I want to have my sins forgiven. Okay. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him do this. Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Okay. I'm just thinking about American culture right now. I'm not saying we are swallowed up in that culture, although it can't help but influence us. But when somebody starts telling you to deny yourself and to take up difficulties or hindrances and follow Jesus, wow, that's just an affront to the way we think as Americans. I mean, we think we've got all these privileges and all these rights, and it should be easy peasy because we're the greatest nation on earth. Jesus said, forget about that part. If your desire is to follow after me, then you deny yourself. You take up your cross every single day and follow me. Or, let's put it another way. In also Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus said this. He said, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Lord, I want to be your disciple because I want to go to heaven. I want to have my sins forgiven. Then you deny yourself and you take up your cross daily and follow me. Oh, and also forsake all that you have to follow me. Now that's another hard pill to swallow. And the idea of forsaking anything in these contexts is the idea that I will have nothing in my life that stands between me and Jesus. Nothing in my life will preempt Jesus at all. Case in point is Jesus' statement in Matthew 6 and verse 33. Seek first. That's number one priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What's the first thing I should pursue? The kingdom of God and righteousness. That's in the midst, actually, of a context where people are worrying about their stuff. How am I going to be cared for? He says, don't worry about that. If God takes care of wildlife, He'll take care of you if you're His child. Don't worry about that part. You worry about your priorities. To have your priorities straight means that you put the kingdom of God first and righteousness alongside of that. And then... If that weren't enough, to make the point as clear as could possibly be about this hierarchy of always having Jesus first, of submitting ourselves to Him first, He goes this far in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Okay, is that Jesus telling me not to love my father and mother and my children? No. In fact, the New Testament scriptures call for the highest kind of love and devotion for your family. But what Jesus is saying is, you know how much you love them? And let me tell you, I, you know, I just got to put in a plug for that little grandbaby. All of you told me, you said, boy, when that grandbaby comes, woo, that is going to be something. And it is something. 
And I'm telling you, I could sit and hold little Millie all day long until she gets a diaper. But all day long, loving and cooing and just want to squeeze those little cheeks. Oh, I just, I love her so much. But as much as I love her, as much as I love my family, as much as I love you, I love Jesus more than that. Now, that is no offense, is it? Are you upset because I love Jesus that much? Because I'm expecting this about you. I'm expecting you love Jesus that much too. And since you love Jesus like I love Jesus, doesn't that just make us tight as can be? Man, you talk about love. We are loving Jesus as much as is humanly possible. Now, if you love Jesus as much as is humanly possible, if you are committed to Jesus as much as is humanly possible, committed to him more than you are committed to anybody else, then when he says to you, hey, buddy, as you're going, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I'll be with you in this. But as much as you love me and you know that experience you have with me and how you owe everything to me, you teach somebody else that. And then think about that. As much as we, together, loving Jesus to the degree that we do and being committed to him to the degree that we do, we are just reaching out to others to build that relation even greater. In the first century, those who called themselves disciples of Jesus had that level of commitment. And, you know, this is, this is all voluntary. So I'm just asking you, you do your own self-assessment. Hey, me, do I, lo do I love Jesus that much? Do, do I have that level of commitment that I would forsake everything? in order to serve Him, that I'll put everything that He's connected with first, that I'll deny myself and take up my cross every day, would I do that? Will I do that? If I'm a disciple, going to call myself a disciple, then that's the level of commitment that I've got to have. And when I have that level of commitment, then sharing the gospel, being benevolent, all those things that we talk about being as Christians, that is just a byproduct of the relationship and the commitment that I have with Jesus. A second thing that we were going to talk about is that growth is a commitment to love, unity, and peace. And the reason that I chose those three in particular is because Jesus said, at least with the first two, that those are the things that I know will be a testament to the world that you are mine and what I do matters. Let's think of the first case with regard to love. That's John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another... Wait, if you have love for one another, the whole world will know that you're my disciple. Question, what kind of love? Well, it's agape love. Oh, okay, I could look that up in the dictionary. 
get out my Greek dictionary and look up agape, and I can give you a kind of definition of that. Jesus said, you don't need to do that. You don't have to look that word up. What I want you to do is to love like I love you. Oh. All right. Do I have to go any further than to say that Jesus loved... Let's just make this personal for me, and you can do that for you. I'll just be your example. Jesus loved me so much that despite all the things that I know I do and all the mistakes I know I've made, even the things that other people have no idea about, that when I repented of that, I confessed, I was baptized, the blood of Jesus, and that blood came because he died on the cross. That blood washed my sins away. That's how much Jesus loved me, that despite all the bad things he knew about me, he died for me anyway. And not only that, but that death made possible my salvation. What's salvation? What do you mean by that? I mean that he saved me from certain death. Certain death meaning separation from God for eternity. Meaning not being plunged into what the Bible describes as a lake of fire or being subdued by what's called brimstone. Not that. He loved me so much, wanted to save me from that terrible plight that he died for me. He washed my sins away when I obeyed the gospel. Now that's some love. And he says, I want you as a testament to the world to love like I loved you. Well, that is a selfless, all-in, no-holds-barred kind of love, not just for people who I think might love me back or treat me nice, but that is also for my enemies. Wait a minute. Now, I know Jesus preached that, but wasn't he kind of using, you know, metaphors and stuff like that? Did he really mean it? He did mean it because when you and I, when you and I took advantage of the blood that he shed on the cross, we had our sins washed away. Look, we were, we were as despicable as could be. We were sinners at that time. We were enemies of his. So Jesus forgives enemies, and he's calling for me to love like he loved. So he's calling me, literally so, to love my enemies. That, he says, will tell the world a thing or two. It'll tell the world, you're with me, okay? So if I'm going, as I go, I'm trying to make disciples, don't you think it would be pretty important that I carry along that love with me? Yeah, got to be committed to love. Also got to be committed to unity. Not union. Union's pretty much in vogue today. You know, let's get together. Let's let bygones be bygones. We'll not talk about things that matter to us. Only the things that we think everybody agrees with. And then we'll, we'll be happy. Not that. We are called to true unity. Which can be a very polarizing sort of thing. Depending on your appreciation or disdain for the truth itself. 
in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. And I do not pray for these alone, speaking of those disciples, but also for those who are going to believe in me through their word, that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, think about that. Lord, I want the world, Jesus speaking to the Father, I want the world to believe that you sent me. So let's make sure that our disciples believe the same thing that we teach. We're teaching them. They've got to be on board, not with something that pleases them, but which is completely, again, in step with what God teaches. Because he says, if they do something other than that, the world's going to get the idea, I didn't even come from you. Did you see that? It is so important that we hold to and teach the truth that if, well, it's already happened. It has already happened. You see this world now that has, and I don't even know the number of denominations. When I was a kid, I remember some preacher throwing around 200 denominations and that blew my mind. Now... It's like over 2,000. I don't even know if they have an exact number because churches pop up all the time. They call themselves any number of unusual names. But here's what happens. Religions around the world, not Christian, look at what Christianity is with all this division and they go, really? That can't be of God. Not all that division. Because if it were from God, God would be teaching one truth and they'd all believe the same thing. Jesus said just that, didn't he? John 17, 20, 21. That they may believe that you, Father, sent me. It, it, it is a black eye on anybody who calls themselves a Christian to teach a doctrine other than what Jesus taught that was given to him by the Father and then was transferred to those like the apostles who were faithful by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and then transferred to faithful men who would teach others, and on and on and on. Somehow or other, that became corrupted. And when it did, people around the world said, Whoa, wait a minute. I thought Christianity was from the true God, and they can't even get their truth straight. Shame on anybody who teaches a doctrine other than what was delivered originally, which we have very simply recorded in a, a book format. We probably all have several copies of it. How in the world? Jesus said that was important. And then, I think peace is important. And the reason I say that is, how can you proclaim the power of God and salvation and, yes, going to heaven someday with a mopey, sad look on your face or constantly worried about world events or what's going to happen tomorrow. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. 
The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. What should I be meditating on? The things of God. The things that lift us up and give us a positive outlook. But I tell you what, it amazes me how many Christians just are filled with anxiety and fear because that's not what they're filling themselves up with. They're filling themselves up with a constant dose of worldly media that its, its primary goal is just to create havoc so they can make, you know, the ratings and get advertising. So the more they can confound and upset people, the better. Why in the world would I rest my hope on something like that? There's the remedy. It's true unity. Focusing on the Word, being free of anxiety, because we know this really isn't our home. I, I, I really, honestly, couldn't care less so long as my focus is on the Lord. The Lord I trust. Everybody else, even politicians, and I don't care what name you throw, don't trust them. I trust Jesus. If we're going to go as we are going and make disciples, we absolutely have got to be focused, dedicated to love and unity and peace. And then finally, this going aspect clearly is about evangelism, of taking the gospel message to the world. I, I, I know that statisticians, and this is an old stat, but statisticians tell us that there are more people born every two minutes, two hours, every two hours, than the church converts in an entire year. Now think about, are, are we keeping up? Again, shake your head this way. Not, keep, not even close, right? A lot more people pouring into this world than we're actually converting and bringing to Jesus. So if, if, if Christians are so committed to Jesus and as they're going, they're making disciples, seems like we'd be having more of an effect on the world than we're having, which then suggests maybe we're not doing it. And here's something that I heard some time ago that I think is, is pretty well true. Hits the nail on the head person said, there are really only two reasons why we don't evangelize. Really only two reasons why we don't take Jesus seriously, the one that we committed ourselves to, we said we'll forsake everything for. There are only, only two reasons why I wouldn't do what Jesus told me to do to make disciples. One is, maybe we just don't believe that people are going to be lost if they don't obey the gospel. I hear that a lot with denominational people anyway. They'll say, well, what happens if the person wanted to obey Jesus, but oh, I don't know, they died on the way to being baptized. Are you saying that they'll be lost, blah, 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 all kinds of hypothetical situations. Here's what I know, that if I do not obey the gospel, then I'll still be in my sin. Isn't that what we learned in the scriptures, that the gospel is God's power to save? What's he saving me from? He's saving me from my sins, which will result in my being lost, right? The wages of sin is death. So if I don't obey the gospel, I'm still in my sins. That is not God being mean or not caring about me. That is me not being serious about my soul. So if I don't obey the gospel, I'm going to be lost, if I think 
somehow or other, that my not teaching the gospel to somebody is okay because they're not going to be lost, that's wrong. The other thing that sometimes people say, or the other situation is that maybe I don't believe that I will be lost if I don't share the gospel with someone who needs to hear it. Whoa, wait a minute now, what? Okay, let's back up. Let me ask this question. Do you think that God gives commands to us, Jesus gives commands to us that he really actually doesn't expect us to keep? And especially one that as he is ascending to the Father, the last thing that he says to earthly people is to go and do this. Do you think he was just kidding? He was not kidding. Because that gospel message is the only thing that will save people from their sins. So if I don't share that message with somebody and nobody else does, they're going to be lost. It's not going to be because they were such bad people. It's because they sinned some kind of sin. All have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if a person sins, they're under the condemnation of death. The only thing that's going to save them is the gospel. And the only person that is commissioned to carry that gospel, well, guess what? It's you and me, those who have already obeyed the gospel. You know, that word go is pretty important. It's just two little letters. But it is the key to saving the entire world. Who's responsible to do that? I'm responsible. And whether you raise your hand or not, you're responsible too. You say, eh. you're sitting in the pew or you're online, you're like, yeah, is he talking to me? I assure you, I am talking to you. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for saving us, washing our sins away. And we know ourselves how bad our plight was, but when we obeyed the gospel, we made the commitment to deny ourselves and to take up our cross every single day and follow you. When we made the commitment to lay aside every worldly thing and to put you first, when we did that, You washed our sins away. And then you gave us a great work to do. Just to do what had been done to us. Somebody loved us enough to share the gospel with us. And Lord, I pray in however great a way or however small, whether whether it's through sitting in a home and teaching a Bible study, or whether it is just through means of just simple encouragement. However, you can use each of us to the end that a disciple can be made. I pray you'll do it. And I'm just praying for everybody in hearing of this, that you will give us a heart of love and devotion to Jesus that will motivate us to save a soul, to do whatever part we can in that process. Some of us can do it directly, some indirectly, but Lord, help us all to have the confidence that we're doing something. Forgive us when we failed that, but give us encouragement when we are doing exactly what you called us to do, to go. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, if you have kids, run out very quickly, and then in about, I don't know, 15 seconds or so, rest of you, you may rush 